This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today we're going to be talking all about retailers, car dealers, what's going on in their world. And the reason we're doing that is because we've got the chair of the National Auto Dealers Association, Charlie Gilchrist. And Charlie, thanks so much for well, making the time to be here. Well, thank you, and it's wonderful for being here. We also have Melissa Burden from Automotive News and Steve Finley from Wards, where he's a senior editor, and great to have the both of you here, thank too. You. Thank you. Charlie, I, I'm curious, what are all the retailers talking about right now in the marketplace? Because all year long we've seen the analysts predicting that sales would go down. They really haven't until maybe lately it's gotten a little bit soft, but I'm just curious what the NADA thinks of what's going on and what all the retailers are saying. Well, business is, is good. It's not great, but it's not bad. In fact, the, uh, the SAR last month was still over 17 million. I think it's 17.1, 17.2. So business is good, but it just feels hard. As a dealer, it feels hard because there's a lot of uh, pressure on, on our new vehicle departments on the profitability side. Uh, when we sell a car, we, well, it's almost a lack of profit, profitability when we sell a car. So the, uh, it's, it's, it's a competitive business. And the issue that dealers have is the, the, is the long-term sustainability of our new vehicle departments because of the lack of profitability when we sell vehicles. On the, uh, the used car side, business is good. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of off-lease cars come off, and, and, and I think there are going to be almost 4 million of them this year. So, so I think the retail side for car dealers is good because of the used car business and our parts and service business. Our parts and service business is actually growing. So I think business is good. The SAR NADA predicts it's going to come in at 16.8 million, you know, but it's still hovering around 17 million. It might come in over 17. But it just, business doesn't feel as good as it probably should feel to us. But the profitability side for new, new vehicle departments is an issue. And, and we're working on that with the OEMs through NADA, so. There was a lot of talk at NADA, the NADA convention uh, this year about affordability. There always seems to be an existential threat at NADA. So this year it was that. And the worry was that prices of new cars would get so high that it would start driving more and more people to the used car lot. Right. Is that still a big concern or is that abated yeah, it's somewhat? A, it's a huge concern f for us and our customers. You know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up. The, the uh, average, I think it was at the end of August, was almost $36,900 was the average transaction price for new vehicles, which is the highest it's ever been. In 2017, it was like $36,400, so it's really increased. But if, if cars become unaffordable, then our customers can't buy those cars, and so they, they, 
they are looking at used cars. And with all the off-lease cars, the good news for retailers is that we have plenty of inventory for them if they want to look at an uh, off-lease car or a, a great used car. So affordability to our customers is, is a huge issue. I think the average uh, payment was like $565 uh, last month. So it's the a, price it's is like, increasing, and there's, there's a lot of uh, NADA predicts it'll, it'll cross over the $37,000 line by the end of the year. If I can just follow up real quick. Um, a lot of the high price, the $37,000 uh, average transaction price, because people are buying more vehicle, they're buying more CUVs and SUVs, which are more expensive, right. more tripped out trucks. Um, so that's good, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's indicative you know, of a in, strong in, economy. You know, it's the, the light trucks actually reached over 70% last month. So I think it was actually 71% light trucks versus cars. Cars fell down. So in 40% of those were, were the SUVs, CUVs. So uh, that, as, as, as consumers shift to the light trucks, obviously the price goes up. But, you know, if you're in Texas like I am, that's awesome. So uh, we like trucks. <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah, <laughs> trucks are everything to us. Charlie, I have a question. Um, when you're out visiting a lot of dealers, I know what what's their top or their number one concern right now from a dealer's standpoint? The the number one question I get asked is, "What's going to happen to me?" What's going to happen to me? Five years from now, Tim, am I, am I as a dealer going to still be in business? Wh what's going to happen? How are we going to evolve? And uh, the, second, the second question is always profitability, new vehicle, profitability, and it's a, it's a tremendous issue. But to answer, so what do you tell them? Well, the first, to answer the first question, that our business is a, an evolving business. So we're in an evolution, not a revolution. We're still going to be there. Uh, NADA has done some studies. Glenn Mercer did a study of the leadership of tomorrow. There's going to be some consolidation, but most of that is going to be in the ownership structure. The small rural dealers will still be fine. Public companies will not, will not be buying everything up. It, the consolidation will really occur in the private ownership where uh, people are buying more dealerships because they have the, the, the capital or the, or the human capital or the financial capital to do so. so but we're, we're in an evolution. The, uh, the SAR, the prediction is it's going to stay around 17 million. So I think we're going to be just fine. We just have to change and evolve. And, and you know, change is hard for some people. Well, most all of us, right? And, but, but that evolution, I think we can all change. And I think we are evolving even today with all the digital, all the technology that, that has come out. Dealers are evolving every day. So we're going to be just fine. The interesting thing is our service parts and collision center business is going to be more important than ever as we evolve in this business. And we have plenty of room to grow there. The hard thing there is, is the human capital. We need the world-class diverse workforce. And so we are, we're trying to recruit those people as we speak today. But I think business-wise, we're all going to be here. We're all going to be fine. It will change. But it's changed. Business is different today than it was five or ten years ago. So we're in a business that is it's fascinating because we do have so much change. Well, on and, the workforce subject, you, you have cars and vehicles which are increasingly more complicated to fix. Right. And you have a chronic shortage of technicians, right. qualified technicians. How do you reconcile that? Well, that's you can't. 
and, and that's, that's why we've launched, NADA's launched our workforce initiative, and we're trying to recruit techs. And, you know, it's interesting, we're, we're going to be 76,000 technicians short per year till 2026. That's a lot. We have 40,000 techs retiring because we're, we have an older workforce. So it's incumbent on us to, to start talking to people in high school, maybe even junior high, and get them interested in, in this dynamic business that we're in because it is a wonderful business. Some of my highest paid people are technicians. And, and we are in a service-oriented business now, so we need them more than ever. So it's critical that we do this, and we, we have to work really, really hard to get good, young, world-class people involved in our business. That's a subject that is brought up more often uh, to young people who are making career decisions and their parents, who, by the way, uh, influence the kids. They may not, you know, get right. the kids might not listen to them when they say clean your room, but they do listen to them on career advice. And, and a lot of the career advice is now, do you know how much money you can oh, yeah. earn as an auto tech? And it, yeah, and it's just and not, the, it, it, but it's just not techs, it's everybody. You know, it, in, in our dealerships, we have an older workforce, so we really do need to recruit, to go to work at these dealerships because they are a dynamic place to work. It's a wonderful place to work. It's a lot of fun. And if you ever get involved in this car business, you see the passion that you have. It's, it's a great business, but we have to convince younger people to get involved. I didn't go to college to become a car dealer. <laughs> I, w I went to college to become a lawyer. Thank goodness that didn't happen, right? So. Uh, well, the other concern that dealers have has to do with the new car profitability, which we know actually was a loss last year for the average dealer and looks like so far is trending that way. What are you, can you give us any better insight into what your, the conversations are like with the manufacturers on how that can be changed, you know, to help bring some profitability back to that department? Well, it's, it's a interesting subject because this has been going on for years and, you know, one of the issues that we have are, are these incentives that aren't available to every dealer or every customer or even on every vehicle in a line of cars. And, and that, when, when we have incentives that aren't available to every vehicle, it actually erodes our profitability, erodes our customer trust in us, and it's, it's a harmful thing. So what we've been doing is, is we, I think two or three years ago, NADA had a study. We've, we shared it with every OEM. But every time we go talk to an OEM, we talk about this issue. And we bring it out because if, if dealers are profitable when they sell a car, they'll, they'll sell another one and they'll take better care of the customers. And at the end, the OEM wins, the dealer wins, and our customers win. So this is something that we have to work on together. Uh, it's, it's something that each manufacturer will have different solutions for it. But I think at the end of the day, we have to figure out how to work together to make sure that our new vehicle department is sustainable long term, and right now it's not. Well, when you're, you're talking about stair step incentives, right? Or Where any uh, uh, we vehicle have other that incentives. conceivably yeah. cost a any lot less at the end yeah. of the month than at the beginning of the month. Uh, and I've never talked to a dealer who likes stair step incentives, yet they continue on and on. Why is that? They, they must work at, at some level. Well, I think, I think certain manufacturers might think it works short term. But long term, they're so harmful to them. And you, you, there are certain manufacturers today that you see are trying to fix their issues because of these incentives that they've had. 
too complex incentives or incentives that are, are not transparent are harmful and, 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 and it's been proven long term it destroys the value of the brand, the loyalty, hurts residual values, and it really hurts the customer's trust. And that long term relationship, it, it's eroded because of these incentives. But for even dealers, and I'll give you an example. I had a customer that called me, I was in DC at NADA and he said, I, I, I was shopping for this car yesterday and you gave me a price, I went back to buy today, and this is a friend of mine, and they said that incentive's not available. What are you trying to do to me? And I said, what are you talking about? And so I called back and sure enough, the incentive ended, he didn't get it, so I had to give him that incentive. But you know, to this day, I don't think he believes me. I've shown him the paperwork, I've shown him everything, and that's my friend. So if that happens to my friends, it happens to a lot of customers, and we have to stop that. And that's where we're going to work together with these OEMs, show them this, the, the, the surveys. We do a dealer attitude survey. It comes up in almost every dealer attitude survey. And we've given them the, re, the reports that our research has shown. So it's something that we're working on. I think some of these OEMs think it works, but again, it's a short-term solution, and that's not good for the long term. Charlie, you, you mentioned that you know your service phase are where you're really still profitable. We're going into an industry where we're increasingly going to see electric cars. No tune-ups, no oil changes, no radiator flushes, anything like that. In fact, Tesla has shown the way where it can update so many aspects of a car over the air. Well, it's parked in your garage at night. How do you see retailers working with this kind of pressure? Well, on the on the electric, the the Tesla example, the electric cars, you know, we have a great opportunity as dealers to service those vehicles because we have the parts, we've got the training, we've got the expertise, and and so the tools are not cheap that you have to buy to service an electric vehicle. And I'm not so sure the independent shops are, are set up for it or have the technology or the want to for 6%. Even in 2025, the predictions is it's going to be 6% of our business. So for 6% of our business, I'm not so sure the independent shops want to invest what we have to invest in these cars. So that, that service business is ours to lose on, a, on electrified cars. And I think we will, we will retain it and keep it because we as dealers, our business model has shifted to where it, there's, there's a lot more focus and emphasis put on service and parts. And so we're all a lot more concerned. I remember the, the gentleman we bought our dealership from, he actually closed the service department down one time because he got mad at him. So you can't do that anymore. <laughs> so we're, we're in the service business. And I, I think also that we have to do a better job. I think the statistics are we retain about 30% of the service customers. So there's 70% that we don't retain, so there's a lot of business out there for us. I don't think we, we are nearly concerned about the business as much as hiring those technicians to help us in this business. Well, Wes Lutz, your uh, predecessor right. uh, as NADA chairman, pointed out that uh, his main profit center uh, in the service department, uh, suspension, brakes, tires, and electrical. Right. And what would you be working on with EVs, right. <laughs> suspension, <laughs> tires, right. brakes, and electrical? Yeah. So well, there wouldn't be that big of a shift. But what about, are EVs for real, or is there just oh. a bunch of talk about it and no, nobody's EV, going to buy No, them? EVs are for real. And, and all the manufacturers or the OEMs are coming out with electric cars. So they're, they're here, they're real, and, and we're excited to sell them. There, there's some great-looking products coming down the road. But where are so, the buyers? Well, 
I think there's buyers for six percent. You know, I, I think I think that market will 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 stabilize around six percent. And some people say it could grow up to twenty percent, but it's going to take ten, twenty years from now. By 2025, 2026, so it'll be around six percent. But for instance, we just came back from a uh, a new car show, and my, one of my general managers said he was going to buy an electric car for his wife. Now I'm in Texas. I'm about the last place that you would ever sell an electric <laughs> car, right? And and especially in the Dallas Fort Worth area. But you know, these are some great looking vehicles, and if they will, if they can get the range up to 300 miles, so you don't have that range anxiety, and if they can get enough infrastructure built for the recharging stations, which is a huge issue, mm -hmm. then there is that demand. There, there will be demand for those vehicles. It's not for everybody, but I, I do believe that they can achieve 6%. With so much uncertainty with trade and tariffs right now, uh, what, what's the message that you're, you're giving to dealers that have concerns about how that might impact their business? Well, through, uh, through NADA, uh, we've been working hard with the administration on tariffs. There's a tremendous amount of uncertainties, but two or three things that we need to get done. One is the USMCA agreement. We have to get that ratified. We have to get it through Congress because that eliminates a lot of uncertainties for the OEMs and then for the dealers. And you get you talk about affordability. If we don't get if we don't get that ratified, and there's a cross the board 25% tariff. Uh, these cars could go up. Or vehicles could go up as much as $4,400. Uh, we, we've had two studies done by the Center for Automotive Research, and, and, and the first one was it, what happens at a straight 25% tariff across the board? And it, we would lose 117,000 jobs in our dealerships because we'd lose 2 million sales. So that's a staggering number. And so what we are doing is we're working with the administration. Uh, our, our president, Peter Welch, has actually talked with uh, the president's chief economist, Larry Kudlow. Uh, we've, we've talked to the Department of Defense, the Department of Commerce. So, so we're working hard to make sure this administration knows the impact that, that we would have as dealers. If we can get the USMCA ratified and they have 25% tariffs, it'll exempt Canada and Mexico and it'll lower that that, that price increase to about 2750 which is still a dramatic price increase and it would have a devastating effect, but it would, we would lose about 67,000 jobs. So we're working hard with the administration. We're talking to everybody we can. We just had a fly-in uh, last month in D.C. where we went and talked to all the House and Senate members, told them this story. And, and we think the president knows the direction he's going and we think we can get a lot of these agreements uh, negotiated and, and put in place so we don't have this across the board tariffs. But again, you know, there's, there's a lot of negotiations still to go, but we're working hard to make sure that we are protecting our customers and our dealers as much as we can. Now, you, you represent as a dealer uh, domestic and international yes, uh, name place. If I'm a Ford dealer, a Chevy dealer, or a domestic dealer, what do I care about tariffs? They well, don't affect me, do well, they? But it's interesting because there's, there's, not, there's not any vehicle that's made in the United States that's 100% made in the United States. The average international parts content is 
So all these component parts are coming from around the world. It's a, it's an integrated global supply chain. So, so, you know, I've told people before, like wiring harnesses, a lot of them are made in China. Who would ever have thought that? So it, it, it is something that we have to get fixed because it affects all of us. Now, the USMCA, if we get that put in place, then that, that obviously will help Ford and, and FCA and, and GM because they do a lot of business in, in the NAFTA region, you know. So, uh, so I, I think we're working hard at it. I think we can get this done. I think there's enough votes in Congress to get the USMCA ratified. We just got to stop the fighting and, and, and get it done. Yeah, it, we'll, we'll see if uh, that's brought to the table, hopefully this year yet. But let, let's go back to those uh, tariffs on passenger cars. We already have 25% tariffs on trucks that have been in place for right. decades. Um, but the president has said, I, I think they refer to them as the 232 tariffs. Right. And the president said earlier this year he was going to impose, he didn't say exactly how much, a higher tariff right. on imported cars. Then he, he sort of punted. He said, I'm going to make the decision later in the year, probably just around the corner from when the show is on. What do you think is going to happen? Will, will the president go through with it? Or what do you think is going to happen? Well, what I want to happen is uh, we, we get Europe, Japan, and China with a great trade policy to, uh, that we can both live with, both, both China Japan and Europe can live with and the, and the U.S. can live with, uh, that's the best thing that can happen. I, th I think we got to get, we have to get USMCA ratified because then, then that, that exempts them. But I think the president is right in trying to restructure these trade agreements and get them modernized. Uh, you know, NAFTA is 25 years old. So I think, I think we, have, we have to get these modernized. And I do believe the president will work out uh, what's best for, for our country. You know, this, this automotive part is such a complex issue. And, and a lot of people wonder, does the president really understand this? And I, and I really do think he understands this. I think we have talked to the administration, to the White House enough. I think they truly understand the devastating impact of these Section 232 tariffs. Mm -hmm. Hope you're right. Well, it's ironic because um, I think Cars.com or some party like that uh, did an assessment and they determined that the most American car is the Honda Accord. Well, I was told, where it's made I was and told where it was a Toyota Camry. Yeah, the Camry was at one point, I think, yeah. yeah. It, but I thought it was a Ford F1, I've told everybody it's a Ford F-150, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, in the age of mobility, mobility as a service, uh, where um, there's talk about personal ownership of vehicles dropping, where do dealers fit in, or how do you adapt to that environment? Well, that's, that's really an interesting question because we've heard that over and over and over again. And uh, we did at NADA, we did two, uh, uh, well, we did a consumer uh, research project, and we asked people, we had two focus groups, and then we did a survey of like 1,200 consumers, and we really uh, focused that more towards the millennials because we've heard that too, that people are gonna to shift to mobility using Uber and Lyft and, and get away from cars. It was really interesting that people do not want to give up their vehicles. And, and it was resounding, only 11% uh, said that they would give up a car and go straight to Uber and Lyft. So what we, what we have determined, and only 6.5% of them said that a, a car was 
a, a hassle, you know, to keep it. It was, it was not fun. Only 6.5% said that. 94% of the people said they want their cars. So, so the future of transportation, we believe, is really going to be built around personal ownership. But the mobility services are a supplement to that. So you can, you can do both. But people like the, fr- the freedom and the flexibility, the convenience and the control of having their own vehicle. And I don't think that will ever go away. So I, we don't see it really as a threat as much as it's really almost a good thing for us because the Uber and Lyft drivers drive those cars an awful lot. So there's a lot of service business that we can get from that. And, I, and as long as it's a supplement to where it's increasing business rather than taking away from business, I think it's a win-win for all of us. It's, it's good for our consumers. It's good for us. And, uh, but it's an interesting thing to when people talk about, you know, their vehicles and, and you listen to them. I remember one lady said, because the question was, you only use it, you know, 10 or 15 percent of the time. Why, why do you want your own car? And she says, I only use my apartment the same amount. I, I need my apartment. <laughs> right? So it's really, it's really an interesting to watch him. So. Charlie, we're getting down to the end here. We've got about a minute and a half. Um, what about these electric upstarts? Tesla was the first. Sell direct to consumers. Don't even go through the franchise dealership. Now, Lucid Motors, Faraday Futures, some of the others are talking about following in, in Tesla's footsteps. How do you see that shaking out? Well, Tesla, I think, and you know, last year they had a lot of distribution problems, uh, profitability problems. I think using a, a franchise dealer network, dealers could help Tesla an awful lot. They have service problems now, and, and you, you see a lot of customer complaints. I can't get my vehicle serviced. You know, I have to wait. I can't get the parts. That's what dealers do. We take care of those customers. So I think Tesla or any startup uh, would be wise to take a look at what a franchise dealer does and how they can help the, those OEMs and how they can take care of those customers. I think I think we can make everybody better. I think if Tesla would have had a dealer network, Tesla could have been made better. They don't do trade-ins either, do they? Well, they don't do or, trade-ins. Or it's, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of <laughs> things that we do table. that we take care of customers for OEMs, and, and we, we are the relationship specialist. So I think, I think every startup ought to take a look at the franchise new car dealer. Real good. And with that thought, it's a perfect time to end the show because we're out of time anyway. <laughs> but Charlie Gilchrist, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, Very good to get us. your insights. Melissa Burden, Steve Finley, always good to have you guys around, too. So thank you very much. And as I always say, thank you for having tuned in. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.